need to read verse number eight, and I will read the succeeding even-numbered verses. Would you please read with me the four odd-numbered verses, beginning with verse number nine? And it's always in respect to the reading of the Word of God. If you're able to stand once again, I invite you to stand. First <clears throat> Timothy, chapter three, verses eight through thirteen, and reading responsively. Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. For so must the wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their, their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for our three deacons that we have in our church at this present moment. I pray that you bless each one of them, bless their families. But Lord, I pray for each person within the sound of this voice. I pray for each Christian, beginning with every child of God and every member of this assembly. Lord, may there be a little bit of deacon in all of us, we pray. And I pray you bless in the preaching of thy word this morning, both to the, from these lips to the ears of the hearer. We will thank you for that, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Here, we'll make that be our... Hey, that's a great lead, and I did not know Ty was going to sing that song. Let me run a proverbial rabbit trail. And uh, that last verse says, when the, the faith shall be sight. The faith. Now, that's little, we'll find this in our text here in just a few moments here, and I didn't know again that the song was even going to be sung, but I just, uh, pardon me, I got goosebumps right now, because... Uh, this, the writers behind that song, Spafford, you know, many of you know that story, I won't go into Spafford, but then P.P. Bliss. P.P. Bliss was a great songwriter. Now, when my dad, I'm supposed to see my dad today, that's not going to happen now, or yesterday, or tomorrow, rather. Uh, I'm not going to go to Ohio, but my dad was in the Ashville Hospital. Here's his bed. Let's pretend this is his bed right here. Next to him was another bed, and he had a preacher, 55-year preacher, in the bed next to him. I didn't know that at the time. So here's dad's bed, no joke. Here's the preacher's bed. Here's the window. Now, from the window, you can see the Asheville Gulf, literally, like our lower-level parking lot. That's exactly where P.P. Bliss died, along with 95 other people, in the great Asheville train wreck of 1876. And there's a monument there, of course, and so forth. From my dad's window, you could see the place where P.P. Bliss and his wife both perished in that terrible train wreck uh, 140 years ago, whatever it was. And he wrote that song, When the Faith Shall Be Sight. And it's not our faith. It's not my faith. It's not the Baptist faith. It's the faith. It's the faith that, that saves. For by grace they save through faith. The faith once delivered to the saints. And, and next to my dad was a preacher. I'll leave the denomination un, unnamed. I was talking to him. And uh, his relatives came in after... After a while, of course, and uh, I just assumed uh, we were getting ready to leave and heading back to Connecticut here, and I said, I, his name was Charlie. His first name was Charlie, the pastor. 
in his 80s, and I said, Charlie, I, I won't see you, uh, I won't see you again uh, except for up there, something to that effect. And uh, his wife said, well, let's hope so. It broke my heart. And I know the denomination is a denomination that teaches that you, you get saved by faith, but then you've got to have works in order to keep it. And I says, he didn't have the faith that was once delivered to the saints, the faith that saves. And my, here's my dad, a brand new baby Christian. And uh, he, I think he got the faith. He didn't deserve, nobody deserves salvation, of course. It's all by grace through faith we're saved. But what a great song. Thank you, Ty, so much for that. Appreciate it. And uh, again, I apologize for the last time for the, the aberrations of this morning here. We didn't know the weather was going to be bad. I would have made a different call, I suppose. And then, of course, I didn't know what's going to let up as it's let up. But enough said, and sorry for the lunch or non-lunch, I guess, do your own thing after the service, I guess. Some ladies did bring in some food, but we, we got most of the ladies. Uh, uh, Marge is sick today, for the record, and uh, several po- folks not here, of course, for obvious reasons, of course, and some, some, uh, some just out of town. Speaking of, uh, we have several members in Texas, the Parmers are in Texas this morning, and, and Bonnie flew out for Texas from Albany uh, yesterday morning. She's down there visiting Ray and Bonnie's son there, of course, 1 Timothy 3, we're on the subject of uh, picking up where we picked up two weeks ago, of course, on the, the subject of people, 13 people groups that we want to look at. This is message number six. We looked at the young men of 1 Timothy in chapter one, and then we looked at the lost man in the latter part of 1 Timothy. We preached a message on leaders from the first part of chapter two. We looked at the pastors in uh, Chapter 3, the first seven verses. We also had a message on babies or infants for Sanctity of Life Sunday. And last week, of course, we were on the third person possessive pronoun of that of they from Acts chapter 2. This morning, we want to deal with deacons. And so I guess this message is primarily, first of all, to Paul Letourneau <laughs> and uh, to Brother Jim Sadler. Jim Sadler's our newest deacon, of course, and he was. Uh, we had several on the ballot, of course. Jim, also our most senior statesman in regards to age. No offense, Brother Jim, but uh, he's got, he got most of the men in this room beaten in the age category as well. And so we, we voted him as our deacon. Uh, Kevin Fontaine, I don't think Kevin's here this morning, but Kevin is a deacon as well. So the message is, first of all, first and foremost, to these three deacons. And, uh, but I've already said in the prayer, and I said again, there should be a little bit of deacon in all of us, and ladies, you included. So... With that said, we want to dissect these verses and look what the Bible says about the subject of deacons. might be the first time, in fact, fact, I think it is the first time in 30-some years of preaching that I've ever preached a whole Sunday morning message on this subject of deacons. But let's begin this morning here. And I want you to notice verse number 8 as we begin. Likewise, must the deacons be grave. Likewise, must the deacons be grave. I want you to consider this morning just four things in, uh, in detail this morning here, if I can. I want you to consider, excuse me, four, I said four things, make that five things, excuse me, five Fs, if you will. Uh, for, let's consider, first of all, a deacon's function this morning for a few moments. Take your Bibles and turn, if you would, please, to Acts chapter 6, and we'll come back to First Timothy. But Acts chapter 6... Verses 1 through 3, the Bible says, And in those days, this is at the church of Jerusalem, this new infant church, already with several thousand members, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. There was some uh, 
division going on, some ethnic uh, division going on. Uh, because their widows, that is the Grecian widows, were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason or proper, in other words, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. I want you to consider the function of a deacon, first of all, this morning. And first of all, a a good deacon and a a proper deacon, a biblical deacon, is one full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom. And he's one that is a good servant of Jesus Christ. And uh, oftentimes we think, and we're going to read in our text in 1 Timothy two times, we're going to read about the office of a deacon. We preached a message two weeks ago on the pastor. And sometimes people think of the position they think of the, the, the so-called power. But Jesus said, Whosoever be great among you, let him be the servant of all. Uh, really, I'm the head or the, the lowest slave, if you will, or the lowest servant. And Jesus came not to be ministered to, but to minister, to give his life a ransom for many. Good deacons are servants of God. The, there's two words, by the way, in the Greek language for the word deacon, like so many of our words that are in English, whether it be apostle, which is apostolos, angel, which is angelos. The word deacon, back in our text of 1 Timothy, and 21 other times we find the word deacon in our New Testament, it's the word deaconos, it's a transliteration. And the word deaconos is, uh, has to do with a servant, but there's another word that has to do with a servant, and it's the word doulos. I don't expect you to remember this, but... Well, Paul, the Bible says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, the word is doulos. That word has the idea of slavery. Now, I know that has a negative connotation, but let me just say this quickly. I'm gladly, I would gladly be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, than to be, to be the prince in the devil's house any day of the year. There's, there's great opportunity, great privilege of being a bond servant or bond slave of Jesus Christ, a willing slave of Jesus Christ. And I know, again, that word slave smacks us in the wrong way, of course. But that word doulos was the word for servant, but it has to do with his relationship, with servant's relationship with his master. Whereas the word deaconos has to do with the servant's relationship with, between his, 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 those that he serves or his work, in other words. So a, a deacon... Like all of us that are child, children of God, ought to be a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, a willing servant of Jesus Christ. We'll do whatever he bids us to do, but we ought to be involved in the work and we ought to serve others. And there's where the word Dirk deaconos comes in. It comes in, and so we see he should be a good servant, but also not a good servant, not only a good servant, but a good steward. And the word steward is another interesting Greek word, and we see this word used in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Let me just quote it to you. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As pastors are to minister to the sheep, so are deacons to minister one to another. We're all to minister one to another, but the Bible goes on to say, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And uh, a steward is a caretaker. The word is the word oikonomos. We get two Greek words put together. It's the word house rules. And also that same word, by the way, in, its, in a different form is the word for dispensation. Another time, another message. But different house rules. We live in this dispensation of grace. 
this age of grace, this church age it is sometimes called. But a good steward, we're to be good stewards of the manifold mysteries of God. We're to be propagators of the manifold mysteries of God. And every deacon is to be not only a good servant, but a good steward. Now back to our text, back to 1 Timothy 3, and let's begin properly our dissection of our verses this morning here. 1 Timothy 3, 8, one more time. Likewise, must the deacons be grave. Now that word grave has to do with the idea of dignified. And I want you to consider this morning, secondly, his, the deacon's fidelity. His fidelity, his character. They need to be grave or temperate. His, his temperament. This word is found in one other time in Philippians 4.8, and sometimes it's called the power of positive thinking versus whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. What sort of things are honest? The word honest is the same word here as the word that we have for, for grave. It has to do with honorable, venerable. Uh, being a deacon is a serious matter. It's not meant for a prankster. I'll leave the pastor unnamed. Some of you know who I would be talking about if I talked about him. But he has a, uh, don't ask me after the service, I won't tell you who it is. But I have a pastor friend who has a deacon that's always a cut up, always a joker. Nothing wrong with being a joker, but sometimes it's overboard. Sometimes it's too much. In this case, this deacon never is he's just all about fun and games. Well, the deacon needs to be one of gravity, one of seriousness. We're, we're, we're playing for keeps. This is, I'm, I'm glad you came out, by the way, and I'll pardon the language, on a lousy Sunday morning. Not that lousy. It's stopped raining now, I guess, and the ice is not here. But you, you came out because you know it's serious to come to the house of God. You know there's a reason that you came here. And we're, we're in the business of the Lord here. And so and a deacon ought to have a grave temperament or the right type of temperament. Then he ought to be, secondly, verse number eight, the Bible uses the phrase, not double-tongued. We would use the, uh, I don't know if I can say the Indian uh, uh, phrase. I don't know if it came from Native American Indians or not. But uh, uh, if you speak with forked tongue, we would say it that way. But not double-tongued. And he must say one thing in... Um, uh, to one group of people and another thing to another person. He must not be a chameleon. He must speak the truth in all honesty. Uh, I'll, I'll let my guard down. I'll be real transparent for a moment. I told Brother Jim, and uh, when we have our deacon and trustees meetings, this has been going on for 30-plus years. Uh, sometimes we have disagreements. I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I always say, I've said it many times, I have disagreements with myself half the time. <laughs> we disagree with ourselves, and so... And we, one of our rules when we get together in meetings and we talk about uh, very sensitive issues and so forth, things that need to be talked about in regards to church government or our church body and so forth, and we have some problems. Sadly, many times we have to come together, we don't talk about all the praises, we talk about the problems. But anyhow, when we, when we come together, we, we talk about it and we've got to make a decision in one sort or another. Sometimes I don't know what to make the decision myself. And I said, we're allowed to disagree. It's okay. And... Uh, I told Brother Jim, I said, here's, here's the rules. I can tell you the rules of when one, one second or one, one sound bite. Uh, we disagree back there. When we come out here, we're always in agreement. We're always together on whatever decision we make. You ever make a decision, by the way, and you're not sure if you made the right decision? Anybody like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes that happens in real life and in, in church life as well. We're trying to do right, and uh, you've got to make a decision one way or another. I made a decision this morning on how we're going to govern, not have an afternoon service. Some of you guys are mad at me. Some of you guys are really mad that we don't have lunch after the service. I know how you are. But uh, we had to make a decision. Some of you are happy, and you just can't please everybody. But, 
But the deacon must not be double-tongued, say, well, I would have done this, I would have done that. No, uh, you need to be of one mind, one faith, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So his fidelity, his character, is one of temperament, gravity, of honesty, uh, sincerity. He knows he's, in a, he's, he's been called to a serious office. He must not be double-tongued. He, and then thirdly, his, his fidelity includes his temptations, verse 8. Deacons must be, must be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. It's interesting, and you might have noticed, and some people pick up on this, and the previous verses talk about the pastor. He's not to be given to wine. The Bible says that deacons ought to be, not to be given to much wine. Now, some of you... I have many verses that I could teach. I, I can teach total abstinence from the Bible if I want to. And um, I, I know I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I always use that phrase, don't take it, don't touch any alcohol. But don't touch my NyQuil when I get, get a cough, okay? I don't want you to do that. I like my NyQuil, okay? So don't touch that. And Paul said to Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake. You've got to understand the first century context. But let me just get to the root of the matter. He not, he not be a wine-bibber for sure. And the Bible says that in Proverbs 23, the Bible condemns drunkenness over and over again. Proverbs 23, verse 20, let me just quote it to you. Be not, a, be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of the flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come into poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Later on in chapter 23 of Proverbs, verse 29, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? The answer, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its cup, color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. So not given to wine, not, not, not bitten by wine. And I think we can talk about many different appetites, many different uh, uh, isms and, uh, that turn into addictions. And remember, the deacon should be grave, sober, level-headed, not double-minded, not double-tongued, not given much wine. But then secondly, it says not given much wine. And the last part of the verse, verse 9, says, not greedy of filthy lucre. Notice he's not to be bitten by wealth. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. By the way, if we get there in a few weeks from now, we're going to have a message on the rich man from, from uh, 1 Timothy 6. And it seems like I always insert this every time I talk about rich men. I want to qualify. I like riches. And I always like to pause like, you do? What do you want when you say, I like poverty? <laughs> no, I don't like poverty. I like riches. I'd rather be rich than poor. And uh, we're going to go to a rich heaven, not a poor heaven, by the way. And I look forward to God's streets of gold, not streets of mud. And uh, it's going to be a great place here. But with that said, Matthew 6, 24 tells us that no man can serve two masters. For either love the one and despise the other, or hold to the one and or despise, I, quote, I messed that verse up. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. And a little preaching here for the record here. Judas was one of the 12 chosen apostles, as you know. He was the treasurer. He was the one that held the bag. And remember the story where the, the lady came in and poured the, the ointment on Jesus' feet, and Judas led the charge and said, what waste is this? 
He didn't say because he cared for the poor. The Bible tells us why he did that, because he was a thief and a robber. And we know the rest of that story, of course. And someone has said the old adage, the southern adage is, a hog cannot look up. A hog is all about the things of this world, what's in it for them. And it goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, glance over at verse number 15, that, but if I tarry long, that thou must know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The house of God ought to be the, 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 the nicest house. I've said this for many years. It's been one of my pet peeves. Ought to be the nicest house uh, that anybody has in our church. Ought to be, and all God's people said, well, that was, that was you know, weren't ready for me to say that, but uh, it ought to be the best house. It ought to be a God's house, of course, and uh, the house of God, of course. And so I... I wanted to say something about that. I forgot what I wanted to say now about uh, nice houses. Uh, it ought be, well, it just left me, so I guess I'm not going to say it, so we'll move on here. So, uh, But it should not be bitten by wealth, and we ought to take care of the house of God. It ought to be the be first place in our, our lives and so forth, and it ought to be the, the nicest house that we have. Then back to the, the text here. Notice, thirdly, verse number 9 now that we see the pastor's, or the, the deacon's, pardon me, his fidelity, his function, but then I want you to notice thirdly his, his faithfulness. It's one thing to have characters or fidelity. It's another thing to be faithful and to carry through with what God's given to you. Look what it says in verse number 9. Holding. The church, back to verse 15, is where the, the, where the dispensary of truth, where the... We're the, we're the recipients of truth, the pillar and ground of the truth. And deacons are holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. Notice that his faithfulness in his possessing, what he holds. The word mystery, by the way, has to do with a sacred secret. Uh, this just popped in my head. I just, I, it just popped in my head. I, I met for the first time in my life yesterday, we were on visitation, I met my first... I got to be careful, but I, I met my first flat earther. I didn't know there was such a thing. I really did. I met a, I think he was a Christian, and I, I went up and started talking to him, and he, he believes in the flat earth. And uh, I, I heard there were Christians that believed in that, but I never, never met one in my entire 60 years of existence. He was the first one I ever met. He's holding, now to me, that's, that's not mystery, that's ridiculous. I mean, to, but he, he would say, well, it's, you got, it's a sacred secret, it's a mystery. No, it's, it's, it's ridiculous is what it is. But I believe in some mysteries. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, but I believe he was God. That's a mystery. I believe there's a mystery of the new birth. I believe there's a mystery of the, the, the trying nature of God. There's so many mysteries the Bible speaks about to the... Natural man, they, these are their foolishness, but to us that are saved, it is, it, is, it is true. I believe one day, I'll just give you another one for a moment here. I literally believe one day that the uh, Lord's going to get a posse of uh, people robed in white linen, clean in the righteousness of the saints, and we're going to get on white horses, and we're going to take a great white horse right through the sky, back to planet Earth. Revelation 19, you say, you don't really believe that, do you? I do believe that. You know, some of you are looking at me like, you do? 
I believe that. And maybe you don't, but I do, because it's found in the Word of God. It's a great mystery. And I, I, I believe that God's going to do these things here. So the deacon, he had to hold fast. He had to grab onto this, these sacred secrets in his convictions. He had to know what he believes. 2 Timothy 1.12 says this. For the which cause I also suffer things, Paul said. Now Paul's going to lose his head, by the way, literally. By the way, after the writing of 2 Timothy, shortly thereafter, he literally loses his head. He puts his head down on that chopping block. I believe he willfully laid his head down. And he says, I willingly suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul knew he had convictions. And he knew what he believed in. He knew right and wrong. He knew heaven and hell. And he knew salvation and damnation. And he, he said, I know, uh, I, I believe these things. I have conviction. I'm holding the mystery of the faith. Notice in his convictions, but then also in his conscience, this deacon. In a pure conscience, the Bible says. That word pure or purity has the idea of uh, being cleansed, free from any mixture of impurity, unblemished. Not just our deacons, but every member of this assembly. I used the illustration a couple weeks ago. There are those, I had somebody in my office said, there are those that believe you can fall from grace. I'd say this kind of I can possibly say this here. We're one of those libertine people, and I'm being facetious, that believe in, I believe that once saved, always saved. I believe in something called everlasting life. I believe you cannot lose your salvation. And I'm adamant about that. There's no mixture in Galatians chapter 1. I'm not polluting or perverting the gospel of grace. It's all by grace. It's all the Lord. It's forever. It's all of him and none of me. And I have a pure conscience about that. I told somebody, and I'll go a step further so you understand where I'm going with that. I was talking to somebody in my office, and I said to them, well, why are you going to heaven? And they gave me a list of a process that they were going through in their life where you've got to believe, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to get, then get baptized, and then you've got to keep living it. And I said, well, ask me why I'm going to heaven. And uh, rhetorical, and of course they, they finally, and I says, I'm going to heaven for one reason, one reason only, Jesus. Jesus alone. And I'm adamant about that. And uh, the ironic thing is, they didn't think I was going to go to heaven because I told them my baptism, who was, and I happened to be a Baptist preacher, didn't save me. And they, uh, they don't even count our baptism as, as uh, uh, worthy of a church baptism. And that I'm not saved because I didn't get baptized believing that baptism saves me. But it must have a pure conscience, must have pure, pure holding this mystery of the faith with conviction. Then we get to verse number 11 here. Notice the fourth letter, F, if you will, please. Even their wives, or excuse me, even must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Notice his family. Now I want you to notice... Uh, Oh, pardon me, I didn't give you his, uh, I didn't give you letter A. Let me go back to the, just fill in the blanks here. Uh, in fact, I skipped verse number 10. I didn't get my trial run at 10.30 or 8.15 this morning. Actually, I did, but I, it was real abbreviated version. Verse number 10. And let these also first be proved. 
I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. Notice back to letter A and B. We see in A, his possessing, verse 9, and verse number 10, we see his proving. Let these first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. There's something about proving. There's something about, as a pastor, should not be a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. Already alluded to and made a little small joke or tried to make out of it. We elected uh, the men that we elected for our new deacons. We elected the oldest man in the group. I think there was a reason for that. I think people said with seniority and with age comes wisdom. Not always, but in most cases that's true. And that's why we elected Brother Jim to the, be our newest deacon, of course. And uh, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride. You think about it, and do this quickly, but... Think of how many men that God had to put through the apprenticeship or the rookie, they had to go through their rookie years and their apprenticeship years before God used them. How about Joseph? All that Joseph went through. How about Moses? Moses was 80 years old, Brother Jim, by the way, when God said, okay, you're finally ready to be used to lead my people out of Israel. How about, how about Joshua? Same with Joshua, could be said. How about David himself? He was 16, 17-year-old boy when he slew the giant, but it was another 14 years, and there was another 21 years after that before he became king of all Israel. How about the Levitical priests? They were to go into their apprenticeship at the age of 25, and they started their 20-year tenure at the age of 30, and were done by the age of 50. But there's always an apprenticeship. There's something to be said for that. I, again, I'll be elusive on purpose. I'll just give you one illustration, but I'm thinking in one particular, there's several that if this could be the case, but a certain preacher came up from another part of the geographical U.S., and I won't say where, and he was going to set the woods on fire in a certain town here in Connecticut, and he came from a very successful church, but he was a young man, and I remember hearing him preach, and he was just going to tear up the woods. He was going to do, do it up here in Connecticut like it's done down, well, somewhere else in the, our country. And, and uh, I think within six months, he was out of here. He didn't realize that... It takes work, it takes labor, effort, and so forth. And so the Bible says that a deacon ought to be proved. And God has some ways of proving us. He puts us through the fire and test, test of time. You have that at your workplace. You don't just walk into an entry-level job and next thing you know become the CEO of the company. It doesn't work that way. Now we get to verse number 11, and now we get to the family. Notice verse number 11, again, his wife. Notice, first of all, her character. Even so must their wives be grave. There's that word grave again. Uh, I want you to turn. I want you to see this. Just get this out of the way here. Let's go to Romans chapter 16. I want you to see the verse. I want to be true to the word of God. We do, we do not have lady deacons. Never have. And as long as I'm pastor, no, no offense, ladies. We never will have official lady deaconesses. Now, take this in the right context. There's a reason why I gave you that word Stulos, that word servant. We all can be servants of Christ. And don't take that as a negative, take that as a positive. We can be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ or a slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, man or woman, boy or girl. It doesn't matter. But here I want you to notice it says in verse number one, Romans 16:1, some of you might know churches that have lady deacons or deaconesses, they call them. Here's their text verse. I commend unto you, Phoebe, our sister, which is a Servant, the word is the, in the feminine form of for, for deaconos, which would be uh, masculine. 
is is a deacon for the of the church which is at Sancria, and so we had this verse here, and ladies are I was well I'll leave them unnamed. I talking to a certain lady that's left our church and moved away. Some of you know already who I'm talking about probably, and uh, was a great deaconess of our church, but never had the title. But she did, like so many of you ladies, I can start naming some ladies in this room here. I see, see Cecile in the back there, and uh, Cecile's used at 815. But I think of all the behind-the-scenes things that Cecile does. And Janice, oh, Janice is not here. I don't see Janice this morning, Becker. But I could go on through many of you ladies here, of course. And all the work that you do, uh, the ladies came and cleaned yesterday. They did a fab- fabulous job of cleaning. They, what were they doing? They were serving and serving others. I think if I could start naming names and embarrassing other people, but some of you ladies are great at letter writing and encouraging and so forth and, and uh, building the church family. You're like, a, you're like a deacon, and that's why I say every, every member of Harvest Baptist ought to be a, a little, have a little deacon in all of them. Go back to 1 Timothy 3, notice verse 11 then. So we see her character. She ought to be that of a servant. She ought to be grave. Understand she's to, in a in a very serious business. Not slanderers. Now that, that word slanderers in the Greek language is the word we get our word diabolical from, or diablos. And it has to do with, uh, that's one of the names of, of Satan. Notice in her conversation, her speech, her, she's not, she should not be a slanderer. Uh, one sinner destroyeth much good. Bible says, tail bar, tail uh, bearer, uh, it's like a fire. The tongue is the world of iniquity, James chapter 3. And Proverbs chapter 6, God says, there are six things that the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And the last thing is, he that soweth discord among the brethren. It's easy to sow discord. It's easy to slander. It's easy to say things that are not true. And uh, to divide and cut, it's, it's hard to uh, minister and keep unity. And so your conversation, she should not be a slanderer. She should be sober, the third word there we see, is third phrase. Notice her concern. That word sober is the same word that's found in chapter 3, verse number 2, about the pastor, about being vigilant. It's the same word that's also translated in our, our Bible, in our English Bible, as the word temperate. This word of concern, this word sober. And she ought to be a person of self-control. And uh, if she's not a self-controlled lady, she's going to hinder the, the ministry of her deacon husband. And then we see the last little phrase, verse number 11, faithful in all things. Well, that's a big, that's a broad umbrella, isn't it? Notice her consistency. Faithful in all things. Now, let me just say this. Uh, husbands and wives are a team. And uh, the, uh, a good deacon needs a good deacon's wife. And sometimes, no offense, fellows. Well, in, in you guys' cases, you know, your wives are better than you guys are. You know that to be the truth. Yeah. Amen. And uh, so the better half. And, uh, well, God bless for that. Thank God for that. And so we have this, their, her consistency. But then we get to verse number 12. Notice back to his family. We see his wife, verse 11. But we see his walk, his personal walk in verse number 12. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife. We dealt with this two weeks ago in the same similar fashion in regards to the pastor. 
And we've never had, let me just, uh, I know this is Sunday morning, and and I know I'm being very teachy this morning as opposed to so-called preachy. I understand that. But this is for the body of Christ this morning. We've never had... We've never had divorced deacons, to be honest with you. We've, we've, and we've used for, and, uh, maybe a secondary application of this verse. I think the, the application is one wife at a time, or not a polygamist, in other words. But I think in the context, again, I, don't, I think we want somebody that rules his own house well, and so we see this, this consistency, or this walk, is a, first of all, as a faithful partner to his wife. If you can't be faithful to your most cherished possession, your wife, how can you be faithful in the house of God? So important. And uh, you say, that's a high, high bar. I know it's a high bar. I admit it. But it's a, it's a biblical bar. And I, we're talking, let me just run this real quickly here. We're talking in Wednesday nights on, in the book of Galatians. We don't want to add to the word of God, nor do we want to subtract from the word of God. We want to have a balancing act. We want to just, what does God's word say and follow that. And that, so we see this husband of, of one wife, he needs to be faithful to his partner, or to his, to his spouse, in other words. But then not only faithful to his partner, but a faithful parent. And once again, it says in verse number 12, ruling their children in their own house well. Now, just like again with a pastor, we don't have any perfect deacon families. Never have had, never will have. Sometimes children go astray like in pastors' families. That's true. If we have the bar higher than the Bible does, we're all in trouble. But I would just say to our deacons, even right now, and to every one of us, start with where you're at now as a father, talking to men, ladies, as a mother, or in some cases, grandmother, or maybe just sibling, you got sister. Be the best Mother, right now, you can be the best father. Right now, you can be the best grandparent. You can be the best uh, 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 sibling you can be right now. And be faithful in your calling that God's called you to right now. And it's important. How shall a man take care of the house of God if he doesn't know how to take care of his own family? That leads me to the last point, verse number 13. For they that have used... The office of a deacon, now it almost has the implication, if we a superficial reading, we could say this is a stepping stone position. I know, for example, I know a couple, I'm thinking of a couple of men that are pastors today here right in Connecticut that were once upon a time a deacon. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe God's calling them, you know, to go on to be a pastor. That, that doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen from time to time. But that's not what it's referring to. It says, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase." to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Notice his farsightedness. Two things, and we'll be done here in just a few moments here. In fact, let's turn to, go to, go to Acts chapter 7, if you would, please. Or Acts chapter 8. I want you to just glance at these verses. This is the body of the chapter, Acts chapter 8. And I want you to consider, first of all, this morning, his, he owns a serious, a deacon owns a serious position. A pastor owns a serious position. I'm a leader of the flock. I'm an example. Pastors, or rather deacons, are to be examples of the flock. Serious business. We've got people looking at us. It's important that we understand this. But he owns a serious position, and the, the deacon Philip here, we find in Acts chapter 8, just glance at some of these verses. 
We first read Philip's name in Acts chapter 6 when the seven men are, that we call deacons are, 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 are elected by the church body. It says in verse number 5 of Acts 8, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people of all one accord gave heed with those, unto those things. And, and there was a great revival, I'm paraphrasing, verse number 8. And there was great joy in that city. Many of the Samaritans came to know Christ as Savior. Glance to the end of the chapter, chapter 8. And we see the story starting in verse number 30, I believe it is. We see the, Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. And most of you know the rest of that story. And the eunuch is gloriously saved. And the church in Ethiopia is developed because of this work, this ministry that this Ethiopian eunuch begat and begun there in Ethiopia and lasted for hundreds of years, some would say even to this day. It was all wrought by the good work of a godly deacon who was led of the Lord. He was serious in his position. Folks, we're living not for the here and now, and I just, this is a very sensitive issue to me. I, I don't think we realize what we're planting. We're planting seeds in our lives right now that last for next, until next week. You say, wow, next month, next year, but here, next 10 years. We're planting seeds in our life right now that will last long before we're gone. We have an offspring, we have a heritage, we have a posterity. And those that use the office of deacon use it well. They use it well because they're, they're, uh, if they have a serious position and there's a there's people that will follow, and you want their following to be long before, long after you're gone. I, I'll give you one quick one here. My pastor friend Steve Baker. We text almost every Sunday morning. He texts me, and I, 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 I called. Uh, I said it's a terrible day here. It was a, it was a sheet of ice. We got to cancel our, our early service. We had a member die last night. I'm texting him this, and I said, "Your friend Zig Ziglar." Some of you know who that is. So he texts me back. He says. He texts me a funny text back, and he says, your friend, Myron B. Cedarholm. Now, I don't, you don't know who that is, but Sonny knows who that is. He was the, the founder of our Bible college, the president of our Bible college. He's been in heaven for 25 years. He'd be 120 if he was alive today, probably something like that. And uh, he trained us. He went to Princeton University in the 1930s, 1920s. I don't know when it was. It was a long time ago. And he trained us, and, and all across the country, around the world today, there's preachers literally around the globe today that Pastor B. Myron Cedarholm, Dr. B. Myron Cedarholm trained. And he's been dead for 30 years, but his works do follow. You're sowing seed for years ahead, for long after you're gone. You're either sowing good seed or bad seed. And so he owns a serious position, but lastly, verse number, Acts chapter 7, just turn one page, at least I have to turn one page, back to Acts 7, and consider with me this long chapter from just a few moments, we'll get to the punchline verses, that the deacon ought to consider his farsightedness in regards to his own, he owns a spiritual promotion. Stephen gets, he's a godly man, a godly deacon, and he's the first, the first recorded martyr was not a pastor. The first recorded martyr was a deacon. And of course, you know, Stephen was stoned. They laid down the, the, their clothes to the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And Saul writes 1 Timothy chapter 3. And 
Stephen, you get to the punchline verses, he, in verse number 55, they, by the way, they didn't like what Stephen said, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to their heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, they, they, they hated him, because he spoke the truth. Sometimes you speak the truth, people will hate you. And they hated him, and the Bible says, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And when they saw, the, and, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they, they cried with a loud voice. Most, many of you know the rest of the story without reading the last four verses. They stoned him as he cried, upon, uh, cried to the Lord Jesus, verse 59, to receive his spirit. He owns his spiritual promotion. One day... I, as a Christian, not just as a pastor, I want to finish my course of joy. Every servant of God, whether you have the title, the office of a deacon, or just have the, the servantship of a deacon, you want to be a doulos of Jesus Christ, know that one day you're going to receive a spiritual promotion. And you think about it, I don't know if it's going to work this way, but can you imagine Jesus standing at the right hand Standing up, it's a sign of respect. He stood up for Stephen, a faithful deacon. I believe that Lord Jesus, at one point or another, will stand up for those faithful servants and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Serve the Lord now while you can. Let every Christian and every member of Harvest Baptist Church be a good deacon, a servant of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, your people listen well this morning, and I pray, Lord, you might help us be about your business. Lord, bless in these moments of invitation this morning. Lord, it's our last service of our day, and Lord, we're not coming back tonight, and Lord, we look forward to next week when we get back to our regular schedule of services, but Lord, maybe do a work of grace in someone's heart and life this morning, and we'll thank you for it. Lord, I pray you're blessed in these moments of invitation, we pray, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's take our hymn book and turn to uh, page number 155. Have thine own.